So like I said, Hebrews 10. We're going to talk about the purpose of church, the purpose of the body of Christ, and what a group or fellowship of believers should be like, what it should have. This is meant to encourage you all in specifically your relationships with other believers because of the four basic things that the Bible says we need in our lives to grow, there's repentance from sin, understanding, teaching, reading of the word, fellowship with believers is another one, and then leadership. We're going over that third one, which is fellowship with believers. If you leave out any one of those four things, you're going to be stunted in your growth. So all believers need leadership. They need fellowship with believers. They need teaching, reading, understanding of the word, and they need repentance. And so we're going over the fellowship topic today, focused on the importance of relationships, because that's what the church is. If I really were to sum it up, the body of Christ or the church is just relationships with other believers. That's what it's about. And if we miss relationships as the focus or the key, then we're missing the point of church. Because these days, oftentimes, it's about showing up at a place. Uh, it's about a brand, sometimes religious institutions, but it's not about relationships typically. Relationships is the focus. So that's what we're talking about. The first thing we're going to cover is the three main things that believing relationships bring into your life starting in Hebrews 10.23 to discuss that. And the first point is that relationships with believers brings accountability and motivation for obedience to the word. That's what we're discussing. So Hebrews 10.23, we'll start reading there. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Let's go back to verse 23. Again, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. So, the intent of this passage that we're reading, the application for our lives is that we would hold fast the confession of our hope. That's what you believe without wavering. So if you don't want to waver in your faith, how many people don't want to waver? I don't want to waver. Now, if you don't want to waver, it says consider one another. This is the first thing, 24. In order to, here's the point, stir up love and good works. So if you don't want to waver, the first thing you have to do is consider others. To stir up love and good works. Now, when you think of not wavering, sometimes the first thing we think about is what we or what I need, right, as an individual. What do I need so that I don't waver? But this says, so that you don't waver, consider others. Right? So obviously, being in fellowship with other believers and serving others is the best thing you can do for yourself, too. Right? So, Consider one another, there's that first point, two, here's an action, stir up love and good works. Now, if you look up that Greek word for stir up, it is also translated to provoke and sometimes even to annoy or irritate, right? So if you read it literally, it says, consider one another in order to annoy each other towards love and good works. <laughs> 
And what that basically means is that when you're around believers, and these are, they're really like-minded believers, right? You do believe the same gospel. Their presence in your life should motivate you to action so much that it's uncomfortable. That's what stir up means. It's not a nice, like, let's just encourage each other. Encouragement is included. But it means, like, it's uncomfortable. Like, this person motivates me to a level that, like, it's annoying to be around them sometimes, right? But in a good way, right? That's what stir up means. So that's that first thing. Then if you keep reading, towards love and good works, so the result will be that you're loving better. Good works is being more obedient to what the word says by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So we have to gather with each other, right? That's the first thing it says. And then it adds, exhort one another. There's the comfort and encouragement. And then it says, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now that day would be the second coming, the end the end of this age when Christ returns. And it says we're supposed to do this more the closer we get to that day. Now, the more time that passes, the closer we get to that day, which means the more time that passes, the more you should be gathering and being with believers, right? Um, which is just another interesting point there. So if you sum it all up, wow, there's some reverb on this thing. <laughs> you sum it all up, he's saying, if you don't want to waver, consider other believers, motivate each other to be obedient, and keep gathering, and always gather more and more. That's what this is saying, right? Now, when I mentioned before we read this that the main point was accountability and motivation for obedience, I state it that way because when you're being stirred up towards love and good works, that is accountability. That's motivation for obedience to the word because other people push you forward. And I can tell you, even as somebody that functions in a leadership position, even when I'm talking to like when my wife and I are talking to people that are part of our fellowship in our in our home church, sometimes I'll be so impressed with little wins and victories in the lives of the people that we're pastoring that it makes me want to do better. So even as a leader, like, you know, you hear the phrase where a teacher learns more than the student, right? When you're in a position where you have to teach people and encourage people to be obedient, it makes you want to be more obedient too. That's just what happens. When you're growing and you're around other believers, it makes them grow too, and vice versa. Why fellowship is important. Next point, we're going to go to Second uh, Corinthians chapter seven for this. Next point is encouragement and comfort in distress. Encouragement and comfort. That's why Hebrews ten says exhort one another. We're going to talk about that exhortation. Second Corinthians seven. Let's actually start on verse five. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5, says, For indeed, this is Paul speaking, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. That sounds like a difficult situation to be in. Troubled on every side, our bodies had no rest. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Very uncomfortable situation. Verse 6, nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by, what does it say? The coming of Titus. He's talking about a relationship. 
somebody in his life that was close to him, he's in a position where, again, no rest, trouble on every side, outside and inside, conflict and fear, and he says God comforted him by sending a person in his life that he cared about, that loved him. If you keep reading, he says, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. We hear a lot about zeal for God and zeal for Christ, which is important. But he also says that Titus had, or excuse me, that the church that Titus was with had zeal for Paul. They were zealous for each other, not just for God. If you're zealous for God, you're going to be zealous for each other as well. You want each other. You want one another to excel. You want to do well. And so when the church found out that Paul was in this very difficult situation, they were mourning for him, zealous for him, praying for him. And then Titus, representing that church, comes to them to visit them when they're in this time of distress. And Paul says that's how he was comforted. But notice the backdrop of this comfort is the depth of relationship that he had with Titus and then with the church that he represented. If you don't have close relationships with people that are part of your fellowship, you're not going to experience this level of comfort when you need it. You need close relationships with believers. And everywhere you read about fellowship in like the book of Acts, for example, it uses the term fellowship frequently. That Greek word for fellowship is a very intimate word. It's talking about the closest kind of relationship with a person that you can have in the faith, as in fellow believers. It doesn't just mean you are around other believers or that you attend the same gathering. It's talking about intimacy within those relationships. And that's the backdrop of this passage that we're reading. And that's why Paul was so comforted. So to return to the, that initial second point, again, encouragement and comfort in distress. That's the purpose of relationships with other believers. The second purpose. The third one, we'll look at a couple more scriptures for this one, is help, basically speaking, for needs and tasks that bring growth to you. This is about growth and maturity. I'm not just talking about growth in numbers as in the church growing, but growth and maturity. In order to grow, you need help. It is a group effort. And there are needs that you have for that growth to take place, and there are tasks to be accomplished that bring that growth as well. So we'll go to James 5.16 first for that. This gives us one, one of those needs and tasks. Sixteen. Now, verse 15 starts by talking about prayer for the sick and healing. Then verse 16, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I'll read that verse 16 again. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now this other scripture is just kind of popping in my head right now. I'm going to pull it up real quick. 
So praying for one another is indeed that brings growth. And in this case, it says healing, that you may be healed. There are benefits to praying for one another. There's plenty of scriptures that talk about praying for one another. That would be one of the needs or tasks that brings you the help that you need. Okay, then if you look at Colossians 2, 19. So we'll go Colossians 2, 19. It says that we're to hold fast to the head. That, that would be Christ. From whom, or from Christ, all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Ephesians 4 uses similar language that joined together with joints and ligaments. That is a reference to the church. It's talking about believers that all serve in different parts of the body. 1 Corinthians 12 says that you are all members of one body and you play different parts. Everyone has to hold fast to Jesus, but then it says you are nourished and you grow by being knit together in the same way your body grows. You sever any one part of your body, that part dies. There's no growth. Every part of the body that stays connected grows. It's just the way that it works. So if you want to be nourished and you want to grow, does that sound desirable? Who wants to be nourished and grow? If you want that, it says you have to be knit together by joints and ligaments. That means connected with the body to relationships, right? Connect that with James 5. One of the tasks for that nourishment and growth is to pray for one another so you may be healed. If there's a part of, your, part of the body or a person in a community that's suffering, 1 Corinthians 12 says the whole body suffers with it. And you can heal that part in one way, it says in James 5, 16, with prayer. And confessing your sins to one another. So there's a need to be open and honest, vulnerable with each other. And with prayer, that can bring healing to a part that's hurting. That's about help for needs and tasks that bring growth. I'll add, I don't have scripture written down for this, but if you look in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, those are a few passages where it talks about believers that were selling their possessions and goods that they didn't need, and then were collecting the money and laying it at the apostles' feet, and then it was distributed as anyone had need. This, in, in terms of meeting needs, this includes those that are practical or financial because the Bible says in, I believe it's 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, that somebody engaged in warfare can't please his commander or his master if he's entangled in the affairs of this life. And Jesus said you don't grow in the parable of the sower if you're choked out by the cares of the world. Right. So if people don't know how to manage their money, they don't know how to provide for their own needs, if, let's say, somebody, it's a man that should be working, doesn't have a job, and if practical matters in life, those needs are not being met. The Bible says, according to Jesus and Paul, that you're choked out by cares of the world, you're entangled in the affairs of this world, and it prevents you from growth. So practical things are important, too. Needs include those things as well. Put it all together. If you are honest with each other, you pray for each other, and you help each other meet needs, whatever they are, that allows you to grow and be nourished because you're now knit and joined together. That is how I'd sum, sum up that third one that is 
again, help for needs and tasks that bring growth. Those are what relationships in the church should look like. Now, if we boil this down to, or break it down, I should say, into more specific tasks, that's what we'll get into next. We'll go to Acts chapter 2 for that. This is about being in frequent fellowship. Hebrews 10, of course, says to gather even more as time passes. But now we're going to talk about, that, again, that word fellowship, which is about building friendships with people. So go to Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 45 of Acts 2, it says, They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You'll notice in the book of Acts, especially the first few chapters, this word daily comes up very often. It comes up two times just in this one paragraph and says they were daily with one accord in the temple and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That first verse, verse 46, is talking about the frequency of believers gathering together and growing together. The last verse it's talking about the frequency of new converts or new people that are being saved and being added to the church. And I think that this isn't a coincidence that when you have believers that are really good at being the church together, that are really good at taking care of each other, it also contributes to more people being saved. Because the more believers are better at being with one another, the more that they grow. And the more that they grow, the better they get at winning new people to the faith. Right? So they have to go together. They go hand in hand. When it says they were daily with one accord in the temple, that one accord has to do with agreement and passion together for the gospel, which we'll talk about that more later. But we're focusing on that term daily with one accord in the temple. So they spent a lot of time with each other. Now this doesn't mean that you have to literally spend every day with a different believer, but what it does mean is that wherever possible, if you have the time or you choose to make the time, I should say, you should be with believers often. And this says it was a daily activity. That's how, how important they thought this to be. And the purpose is to build friendships because that's what fellowship means. It's about close relationships. It's not just gathering in one place and hearing teaching. That has a place. That's important. But we need to build friendships as well, and that requires frequent activity with one another, right? So that's fr that first point, being in frequent fellowship to build friendships. The next one includes gathering in groups to eat, pray, read, and teach the word. That is in the same chapter in verse 42. After it says 3,000 souls were added to them, verse 42 says, and they continued steadfastly. There's four things here. In the apostles' doctrine, there is teaching, reading the word, discussing the word, and fellowship, there's the friendships we just discussed, in the breaking of bread, that is sharing meals together, the Lord's Supper, communion, and in prayer. This is what they did when they gathered together. There's another case in 
pull this up. It's also in Acts. I think it's Acts 19. not find this but what I'm looking for is a place in Acts later in Acts where Paul is meeting with a group of believers to teach and it says that he began his message in the evening and continued teaching or continued his message all night even until daybreak and it says this was on the first day of the week which of course we know was a Sunday and it says that they came together to break bread that's how the, the passage begins. It says, they, they, when on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul was with them and began to teach them and continue his message even until daybreak. So that tells you at least in one additional example to Acts 2 that they gathered together and they shared meals with each other and there was teaching and discussion of the word involved. So we should do the same. back to it. But the third third point after gathering in groups to eat, read, pray, and teach is to reemphasize a confession of sins to one another. I want to bring this up again simply because there is great importance to be honest with one another and share what you're struggling with. That is something that should happen. Now this doesn't have to happen every single time believers gather together. It's not like we have a confession of sin session in a circle every time get together, right? It doesn't, doesn't have to happen that, right, that way. The point is, when you have relationships with believers, friendships that you're building, it does encourage you to be vulnerable and open and honest, because that's part of how you build depth into relationships, but it needs to be approached with some intentionality. Share what your struggles are, and I would even go as far to say as everyone in a fellowship, whatever your fellowship is, your closest group of believers, Everyone in that room should know where you're challenged, what you're growing in, and how it's going. Everyone should know that. Now, of course, there is no judgment because we, you know, the Bible says we don't judge one another, right? In terms of criticizing somebody for their struggles. We receive one another just as God has received us, and we want to help each other. And to do that, it's important that we're honest. You have a comment? Right, right. Yeah, some people might want to do that, but some people don't. Yeah, she was saying how some people in a group might want not might not want to share their struggles with fifteen or sixteen people all at once. Um, over time, as relationships deepen with everybody in that group. They should be comfortable talking about what they're struggling with with each of those people. But that doesn't mean they say it to everyone all at once. Right? The Bible doesn't say you have to share it in a certain way. It just simply says confess your sins to one another. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's that point. 
And remember, back to James, James 5.16, it says that we're to do that so that you can pray and then be healed. Right? So there's healing, there's recovery that comes when you confess your struggles. Right? So that's important because of what it leads to in, in terms of growth and, and healing. Next one we'll look at that the Bible repeats several times is to honor each other by serving each other's needs and desires. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 in verse 10. It says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Some translations of this verse say honoring one another above yourselves or outdo one another in showing honor, some translations say. But it begins with being kindly affectionate. And you show honor, it says, by giving preference to one another. You prefer someone else's needs and desires over your own. You will find that the more you concern yourself with helping other people with what they need, the more you will get what you need. That's just simply how it works. Again, back to Hebrews 10, we talked about this before, that it says if you don't want to don't want to waver, you consider who? What does it say? Others, one another. Right? So that's that Romans 12 verse. And if you go to Galatians 5.13, there's another good one. Galatians. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I want to read that again. It's so good. Through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. That's scary. Serve in love, don't bite and devour. We'll look at one more in Philippians. Four. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better or greater than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. If you sum it all up, it's definitely saying care about other people besides yourself. <laughs> Prefer other people before yourself and make sure you do it out of love. This reminds you that you can't, you can't make this happen. You can't force it. You can't make people serve each other. It's meant to be done out of love. And that's a choice that you have to make to do it in love. But if you do have love for each other, it says you'll show honor and you'll do that by serving one another. And specifically serving one another's needs and desires. Now, 
in terms of how you actually do that. You serve how you're able to serve, and that's based on whatever your skills and your gifts and your abilities are. And that can be everything from practical to spiritual. If somebody needs teaching on something, you can bring them some understanding or teaching on something. If it's a practical skill and you're handy with certain things, you can serve people by helping them with their house or their car or something. If it's a qualified situation, they need help. You can serve people simply by showing up and being a friend when they need a friend. You know, It's all about identifying where there are needs, finding out who's best suited to meet that need, and meeting it. That's what it comes down to. For you, as an individual, that just begins with knowing where your skills and abilities are. And a great scripture to sum that up is in 1 Peter chapter 4. So we'll go there. 1 Peter chapter 4. This is so interesting. Yesterday, I did not plan this. I don't know. I was chuckling about it the whole day. Um, I got a text, I think it was the night before, early that morning, of a friend that's part of our fellowship that needed help moving uh, those, like, electric beds, like electric bed frames that they, like, move and contort in ways that I don't even know how. Um, doesn't even seem comfortable. <laughs> but So he needed help moving one of those. And then the same day, I get another message of somebody else in the group that needs the same kind of bed moved. Again, I did not plan this. I just thought it was so funny. I was like, oh, I guess today is the electric bed frame moving day. You know? But I had, I had some free time in those exact blocks where I was able to help with this. And so it just, it was a great opportunity. You know, people that need help and those things can be heavy. You know, so it was, it was, it was a good time, and um, it can be as simple as that too. If somebody needs help with something, just help them. You know, that's one way you can serve. Um, that's right. We were going to read First Peter four. Okay, so First <laughs> Peter four eight. Let's actually start in seven. Seven says to begin the thought, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, pause for effect. Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I find it interesting that he starts by telling us to be serious and watchful in your prayers because, like, the end of all things is at hand. But then he says, but most important, first, above everything else, have fervent love for one another. And I like to examine myself on this, this type of scripture because if I ask myself, do I have fervent love for other believers? Now, I could say I have love for believers, but is it fervent? There's moments where it feels fervent, but it's not fervent all the time. And we, we, we all know what that's like, right? And he says the most important thing is to have fervent love for one another. Now, if you connect this to what we just read in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, it said that all the law is fulfilled in one word, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? If you put that in other words, he's saying you will be obeying, you'll fulfill everything in the entire Bible if the one thing you focus on is having fervent love for each other. There's a verse, one of my 
absolute favorite verses in the New Testament is 1 John 2, verse 10, that says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. That word for stumbling just means sin, right? If you love people, you, there will be no cause for sin in your life, zero. So if you have perfect love, you would have a perfect life. A perfect life is having perfect love. Another great one in 1 John 4.17 says, Love is perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. In other words, being like Jesus now is all about love being perfected. If your focus is always, always, always on love, that's what will keep you growing. And that's why Peter says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. Amen. Verse 9, he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. This is back in 1 Peter 4. <laughs> I think... This is funny. He just says, have fervent love, you guys, in the first verses. Be hospitable without grumbling. Be hospitable. That means having people in your home, serving each other in your home, cooking food for each other, and doing it without complaining, without grumbling. Right? Verse 10, as each one has received a gift, Minister it to one another. Okay, another really quick, uh, what you might call religious cow or whatever that we're going to destroy. Um, there's no such thing as the gift of hospitality. Not a gift. This tells all believers, be hospitable and don't grumble. Then it starts talking about gifts, right? Hospitality isn't the gift. All believers are commanded to be hospitable. In addition to hospitality, you do these other things. Now, I think the reason why he places hospitality first is because if you don't like people being in your home and serving them food and water, then how would you even get a chance to do any of these other things? Right? So he's telling us to start with the basics. Once you have the basics down of being hospitable, then he talks about gifts. And that's why he says in verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love that he says, do it with the ability that God supplies, which means you're not obligated to do something that's out of your wheelhouse. Or maybe you're not the best suited for a certain service. Whatever you are able to do, meaning whatever God has given you the ability to do, do that. And some gifts, some abilities might be in certain communities more popular than others, or they might get more attention, right? But they're all essential, just like every part of the body is essential for your body to make you you, right? So whatever ability you have, do that whatever it is. And if every believer in the body of Christ was good at doing that, every single need would be met. If you look in one place in the book of Acts, it says there was no one 
among them who lack. No one. On any level, whether it was financial, spiritual, no one lacked. That is amazing. If you really think about that. There's a verse in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says that he wanted to show up with the church in order to perfect what was lacking in their faith. And this is Paul. Like Paul and the apostles and the churches and the early church. Paul's saying there was a time later when they had their complete where, where people were lacking. But when, the, when it first launches in Acts and it was out of Jerusalem, that community, it says nobody among them lacked. No one. Oh, Acts 4.34. Look at that. You pull it up. Awesome. No one lacked. That's what we're going for. And the way that you do that is by what we're just reading. In, above all, have fervent love for one another. Romans 12, give honor, give preference to one another. Philippians 2, consider other people's interests and needs, not only your own. Right? If you want to be in place, in a place where you're not lacking, you have to consider other people. It can't be all about you, right? Okay, next point, moving on from honor and serving each other, is being in agreement and sharing the same doctrine. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 10. a lot of gravity in this statement that Paul Paul makes. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. back to the beginning of the verse, I plead with you. Some translations say, I urge you or implore you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says there is no higher name than the name of Jesus, right? So he's hanging this instruction on the most important thing you could possibly imagine. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a recommendation. This isn't a hope. He says, I'm urging you. And I'm hanging this statement on the name of the master and creator of the universe. Be in agreement. So this is super important, what he just said. Speak the same thing. Now, how many times have you guys heard, oh, there's always going to be disagreements, and that's okay. Right? Agree to disagree. Right? That's not supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be content with that. Now, I admit, yes, there are going to be times when believers will disagree about things. There's plenty of examples of that in the book of Acts. Acts 15 is a great chapter that talks about believers that disagreed on a point, but the focus is that they resolved it. They came together. They came to a conclusion. They brought peace to the situation so that there wasn't disagreement anymore. Disagreements will come up. The point is, don't agree to disagree, and move on from them as though it's not important. When there are disagreements, we're supposed to address them. Now, that doesn't always mean you have to do it immediately. There are certain times and places where it's better to talk about disagreements, but the point is talk about them, resolve them. In order to do that, it's really 
there's two things involved. The first is you have to all be basing what you believe on the same essential doctrine. So, uh, first, I think it's second, yeah, second John. Uh, John calls that the doctrine of Christ, which is really just the basics and most important, most emphatic parts of what we believe. We all have to share that doctrine. A second thing is the Bible says, and we'll look at this verse next, uh, Hebrews 13, it says to obey and submit to those who rule over you. This would be leaders in the church. There are times when you've joined yourself to a body of believers and you've joined yourself to leadership and they might say things at certain times that at the moment that you hear it, you might not be able to agree because maybe you don't know yet or you don't have understanding of it yet, what have you. But scripture tells us, number one, the point is to be submitted to that leadership and then pursue understanding and pursue correction so that you can come to agreement. But if you try to be submitted but then remain willfully in disagreement, it just creates resentment and problems in churches. So again, Hebrews 13, if you look at verse 7, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Now, I wanted to bring up this verse first because it says, the reason why you should remember and then verse 17 says, obey those that are over you in the Lord is because of the outcome of their conduct and the outcome of their faith or what they believe. In other words, when somebody is believing something that is true in the word, it will bring good fruit in their lives. It will bring positive changes and transformations in their experience of life and their reality that makes it a good example to you. You might not necessarily agree, per se, because of a lack of understanding with something or one thing here and there you hear from a leader. But if you look at their life, how they live, if you can see how what that person believes has brought good fruit into their lives, it says, follow that. Even if it's not because of a full understanding of the content, you can at least see and understand the good fruit in that person's life because of what they believe. And that is supposed to be enough to say, I need to pursue understanding that they have. Even if I don't have it now, I want it because I want to have that experience. Which is why it's important for leaders to be close enough to you that you can see those things. But this is like, for example, 1 Timothy 3 talks about how a person in leadership, specifically a person who's pastoring or overseeing, it says they need to be the husband of one wife and have their children in submission. So if they have a great marriage and they're great parents and their, their kids are in submission, that's a good example. And that outcome is of what they believe, their faith, the content they believe has brought an outcome. And if that outcome is Christ-like, that makes the content godly and makes it biblically true, right? good fruit. And so that's why it's important to consider conduct, consider fruit in people's lives and let that be a motivation to come into agreement. Another thing that's important when it comes to coming into agreement, this would be closely tied to what was just stated, 
is pursuing teaching and correction from wise believers. Now go to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13. This is a uh, tough concept for a lot of people, but it's so important. Verse 14 of Proverbs 13 says, The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. If you look at the previous verse in verse 13, it says, He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Despising the word or despising the law would, of course, be Scripture itself. If you despise any part of Scripture, it could bring bad things. But if you listen to the law of the wise, which includes wise believers, then it's a fountain of life and it'll turn you away from the snares of death. Now, of course, we all know you can't go asking advice from everyone. Not everyone has wisdom. But those who do, it says, their law, their instruction, some translations of this verse say, the counsel or advice of the wise is a fountain of life. Coming into agreement with believers is about more than clinging to your own personal understanding of your reading of Scripture and thinking that that's enough. Because people are at different levels of understanding and how you're interpreting something in the Bible might not be true. We need to, there's other places in Proverbs that talk about this, especially chapter 4 of Proverbs, says to take firm hold of, pursue, and seek as hidden treasure, correction, instruction from the wise. We're supposed to go to other people to build and improve our understanding of the word. You can't just cling to the way you, what you think something in the Bible says. And keep it to yourself, right? If you want to come to an agreement, we sum it up again. Be submitted to leaders, consider the outcome of their conduct, and pursue correction from other believers that are wise. You might not know what something in the Bible actually says. You have to be willing to admit that and look for correction. Seek it out. Right? That will help believers come into agreement. It's really just about talking through stuff. Talk to other believers about things. Right? Don't just keep things to yourself. Talk about it. That will help get believers started in coming into agreement and eventually, as Scripture says, sharing the same doctrine. And as stated, we know how important that is because Paul said he urges us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to all speak the same thing. Right? So it is very important. Those are some practical ways that you can progress in that area. And then, of course, I mentioned with this knowing and submitting to your leaders. I want to go back to Hebrews 13. We're going to look at verse 17 to add another comment. Hebrews 13. Verse 17. 
says, Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I'm going to read it one more time. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So to speak to that, many believers find it confusing sometimes to think about the relevance of obedience or submission to particularly leaders in the church. It makes a little bit more sense when you're talking about, like, for example, children submitting to their parents, right? That's a little bit more straightforward. It seems more needed, per se. When it comes to obeying those who rule over you in the Lord, that would be leaders in the church. Sometimes it feels less relevant or less practical. This becomes important for reasons I already explained, which is about coming into agreement and sharing doctrine. But it also becomes relevant when it comes to actually getting needs met. Because when leaders in the church are doing their job and they're noticing what people need, there will be tasks and ways to serve and opportunities that people will have to step into. And when leaders see those things, they can call upon certain people and appoint them for certain tasks and needs. And that's where the obedience becomes more relevant. So if a church is not very active and not very obedient to the word in general, this verse does seem a little bit out of place. Because it's like, well, what, what would I be obeying except for you know, showing up to gatherings? And that's a starting point. If your leaders want you to be in a gathering of believers, you should be there. At the very least, if it's for the sake of submission to them. That's what this is saying. Obey those who rule over you. When it comes to, like, just to give you a practical example, what this might look like, I was, I've had a, had a few conversations with some uh, members of my fellowship that just simply were needing more fellowship, but they specifically needed fellowship from other young men. And I sent a text message to three young men that are in my fellowship, and I said, hey, this guy needs help. He needs people to be around him. Make room in your schedule, all three of you. Talk to him on a regular basis. Now, I know that those guys will do that. I know that they're submitted. I know they're going to take action on it. If I wasn't paying attention to this person that needed help, I would not have been able to say, there's a need, please meet it. Right? And so as an encouragement to leaders, it's important to pay attention to people, and that's why this verse says they watch out for your soul. Leaders do. Their job is to pay attention to how you're doing because they have to give account for you. If you're a leader over someone's life, you have to answer for how they did when you get to heaven because you, in part, have responsibility for them and their faith. And so because I know that, it's a, that's a scary thing to think about. I want to be able to answer well. I want to be able to say, I did my job for people. And I want to be able to do that with joy and not with grief. Right? But if I have to do it with grief, it says that would be unprofitable for those that I was supposed to serve. So, to sum it all up, if leaders 
aren't doing their job, and if the believers, those leaders are over, are not submitted to those leaders, it just creates grief so that when you all get to heaven, it will be really hard to talk about how you did because you weren't doing your part. So let your leaders have joy over you. If you want leaders to rejoice about you, being submitted to them is important. Because they got to answer for your soul. Right? It's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, any, any, form of, any form of leadership, any form of authority, there, yeah, there's a responsibility, an accountability. For people's souls. Yep. Okay, so that was the point about an additional point about leaders. And that closes out these points. So I'll, I'll sum up the whole thing, everything that we talked about. We started with the fact that the body of Christ or the church is about relationships with believers. That's the key. In those relationships, if they're functioning biblically, there will be accountability and motivation for obedience. There will be encouragement and comfort and distress. And there will be help, mutual help, for the needs and tasks that bring growth. The action that you should take is to be in frequent fellowship to build friendships, to gather in groups, to share meals, pray, read and talk about the word, teach it. You should confess your struggles to one another. You should serve each other in honor and fervent love. You should pursue agreement everywhere possible. And then you should know and submit to your leaders. You do those things, you'll have what the Bible says a church is supposed to be. And you won't waver. You'll be constantly annoyed towards love and good works, (laughs) right? You'll be strong, right? That's how a church should function.